No, hang on, honey. Let's just preserve the moment in pictures. The first time I met Ed was in the county lockup in Tempe, Arizona. Don't forget his profile, Ed. Turn to the right. A day I'll never forget. Turn to the right. Guy name is Ed for a pretty thing like you. Short for Edwina. Turn to the right. You're a flower, you are. Just a little desert flower. Let me know how those come out. Hi everyone, this is Mike Haber. And I'm Mike Mizgleski, and welcome to the 28th episode of the Jim Church School of Digital Underwater Photography Podcasts. Before we get on with things, we have an announcement regarding our website. Our homepage now includes our very first Jim Church School of Underwater Photography commercial. We're really happy with it, and we invite you all to visit the site and give it a look. You know, now that we've entered fall, you've probably noticed that the days are getting shorter. Pretty soon we'll be arriving home from work after dark, and gone are the after-work softball games or lawn mowing that occupied our leisure time between dive trips. Now it's time to turn our attention to more interesting indoor activities. That's right, you all know what I'm talking about. Editing and organizing our underwater photographic images. Over the last six months or so, we've busily filled our digital coffers with hundreds, if not thousands, of wonderful images. But there they sit on our hard drives, alone and unattended to. So much potential, so little time. After a busy spring and summer of capturing these images, it's time to start dealing with them. After all, in a few short months, we'll be heading back out to start capturing thousands more. We need to approach the process of dealing with our digital images in three phases. Organizing, editing, and repurposing. Now each phase will require a separate skill set as well as some different software. In the weeks to come, we'll be discussing the many options available within each one of these phases. Perhaps the most complex of these phases is image editing, also referred to as post-processing, image manipulation, or image enhancement. Whatever name you give it, Mike and I will spend a number of podcasts covering that topic. We'll discuss the various software options available to you and cover many of the specific editing techniques that are most appropriate to underwater photographers. We think it's going to get pretty interesting around here. But before we dive headfirst into technical details, we want to spend the remainder of this episode discussing the overall philosophy of digital image editing or manipulation. We think it's important for you to understand where we're coming from on the subject. In bygone days before digital photography, or BD as we like to say, photographs were captured on film. And for a variety of reasons, 
Most of the images shot underwater were captured on slide film, also known as color transparency film. Underwater photographs were normally not captured on the more common color negative film. Remember color negative film? That was the stuff you used to shoot Aunt Matilda's birthday party with and then took to the drugstore to have prints made. Unlike negative film, which can be exposed incorrectly and still produce an acceptable print, slide film had to be exposed perfectly in order to achieve an acceptable image. Slide film was the definitive what you see is what you get photo medium. As a result, underwater photographers had to strive for perfect exposures. Otherwise, their shots were no good. Why are we talking so much about film during a discussion concerning digital image editing? Because for many people, resistance to effective digital image editing is rooted in their prior film experience. Let's explain. There's a sizable portion of the underwater photography community that began shooting BD. Many of these folks are under the mistaken opinion that any form of image editing, processing, or manipulation is cheating. We've seen this attitude in online underwater photo forums and email lists all the time. Their general belief is, if you didn't take the image perfectly the first time, it's no good. For the most part, that thinking stems from many years of having to nail the shot because as underwater photographers, we chose to use the beautiful yet unforgiving recording medium of slide film. So we understand that mindset. But we also understand that those people don't grasp the very nature of digital photography, which requires some form of processing or manipulation to take place before any image is suitable for viewing. If you're one of the folks that long for the good old days, we suggest you try a different take on this issue. We suggest that current digital photographic technology has much in common with the good old days, even before there was slide film. Back to a time when there was only negative film. In those days, the exposed and processed film was not the final product. The final product was the print. And the print was the result of an operation that included some enhancement or manipulation by using chemicals, an enlarger, and dodging and burning tools in the darkroom. It was a very subjective process. After all, Ansel Adams's fame is as much a result of his efforts in the darkroom as it was with his work behind the camera. The same can be said of us digital shooters. Sure, our shooting skills need to be good to begin with, but we now have some remarkable tools that allow us to take an ordinary image and transform it into something special. And because of this, the back end of the process, the computer, can make the front end, the camera, much easier to use than ever before. As an example of this, let's discuss the normal over-under shot. An over-under shot is one that is taken with the camera held halfway above and halfway below the water, capturing both environments simultaneously. In the past, in order to capture that shot properly on film, it was necessary to use a split neutral density filter. That filter was placed directly on the camera lens. The top half of the filter was dark and the bottom half was clear. Because the exposure value of the top side portion of the over-under scene was brighter than the underwater portion, the darker neutral density half of the filter helped bring those two portions to a better exposure balance. The scene was composed in such a way so that the seam of the filter, where the dark half met the clear half, was positioned in the image at the air-water horizon. 
There were all sorts of issues with using that kind of filter. First, there was a wide variety of neutral density filters to choose from. A filter that was appropriate for the Caribbean sunlight-water combination might be inappropriate for California. Also, since the filter was put on the camera's lens under the dome, once it was in place and the housing was sealed, it couldn't be adjusted. If it got crooked, it stayed crooked. And finally, when you were finished shooting your handful of over-under shots, you had to get out of the water, take your housing apart, and remove the filter. After all, a split neutral density filter wasn't going to do you much good shooting a turtle at 30 feet. Here's how we deal with the same setup digitally. We forget about the split neutral density filter and take the picture. We don't worry about placing our air-water horizon at the very center of the frame because there's no filter seam to align. On our computer, we open the image in an image editing program such as Adobe Photoshop and create two identical layers, each with the entire image. On one layer, we properly adjust the exposure value for the surface portion. On the other layer, we adjust the exposure for the underwater portion. Then we create a mask for each layer that will obscure the portion that we didn't adjust. For the top side layer, we mask out the underwater stuff and vice versa. We must be careful to leave just a little overlap at the air to water split. Finally, using a gradient tool, we feather the edges of the two layers at the point of overlap. Then we merge the two layers together and ta-da! It may sound complicated, but it really isn't. A few podcasts down the road, after we've discussed some of the common editing tools, we'll show you just how simple it is to do. For now, we just wanted to give you an example of how we can digitally handle what was once a mechanical or optical operation. Technology isn't cheating. Technology merely provides us with a different set of tools that allows us to be creative without a darkroom. When we're not diving, Mike and I are shooting commercially topside. Every image we've sold ultimately gets manipulated in some way, usually after it's left our hands. That's just the way of it. Images that are used in advertising are always modified in some way. Sometimes small changes are made, such as color corrections, to accommodate the printing press. Other times, to meet a customer's needs, major changes are made, such as compositing one photograph with other photographs in order to create a new image entirely. This isn't cheating. It's what has to be done to make the image fit the need. With your own photography, you also have to look at the need in order to determine what processing or manipulation is required. If you sell a photo for commercial use, it's the customer who will determine the look of your image. If it's for your own use, such as a print for exhibition or an image added to your personal website, well, it's your photo. You can do with it as you please. There's two circumstances where over-manipulation might be frowned upon, and we stress the word might. The first is when the image is being used editorially. In those cases, the publication will have very specific guidelines concerning acceptable image editing or enhancements. In this instance, simply follow their rules. The other is with certain photo contests. Here, the sponsoring organization will normally have specific rules you must always follow. Each competition has its own guidelines. Some specifically prohibit any excessive manipulation of an image depending on the category. Once again, follow their rules. Other than that, you're free to do as you wish. Don't be swayed by the you-can't-touch-the-image purists.
They're stuck in a mindset that's not yet evolved to the realities of digital photography. If we always listen to that kind of thinking, well, we'd all be taking our photographs by candlelight. Go to the Podcast 28 page of our website to view a few examples of images we've edited. These photos illustrate a little bit of what can be done to improve an image. To get there, click on the Podcast tab at the top of the homepage, www.jimchurchphoto.com, and navigate to the October Podcast page. Well, as we say every week, we enjoy hearing from you, so please continue to send us your idea for future podcasts. You can do this by emailing us at podcast at jimchurchphoto.com. Remember, you can get to the archive of all of our previous episodes on the website by clicking on the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. Until next week, this is Mike Mezgleski and Mike Haber wishing you safe diving and great photos. We'll see you on the next podcast. When there was no meat, we ate fowl. And when there was no fowl, we ate crawdad. And when there was no crawdad to be found, we ate sand. You ate what? We ate sand. You ate sand? That's right.